You are tuned in to Sound Science with me, your host, Dr. Randy Pierce. show and happy Monday everyone. You are tuned into episode 19, Scent and the Brain, and this month's episode will be talking all about smells. So as usual, which is becoming the norm, I am recording from home, so please bear with any background signals or interference. But other than that, I'm super excited to be with you on this Monday morning. So before we get started, let's take a deep breath through your nose and think about what you smell. Is it coffee? Maybe flowers? Body lotion? Maybe perfume? The air is filled with tiny odor molecules released from all sorts of things like food, perfume, people, and even pets. The nose is packed with millions of smell receptors, which allow it to smell thousands of these different odors. When we sniff the air, these special smell receptors become activated and shoot signals to the brain. The brain's ability to recognize many scents when different types of odor molecules enter the nose is really special because the smell of breaking bread, for example, comes from a number of different odor molecules. After these odor molecules have been received by the nose, your brain uses this and all the internal and external information it receives to piece together that there is bread baking in the oven. Smell is a really powerful thing. It has the power to trigger memories, especially emotional ones. For me, the smell of vertebra reminds me of my mother and the smell of jerk chicken reminds me of Notting Hill Carnival. And actually the smell of wet pavement reminds me of being back home in London. On this month's episode, we take a look at scent in the brain and the incredible way it juggles smells, emotions, and memories. We also take a look at why COVID-19 can affect our sense of smell. And I chat with Saskia Wilson-Brown, founder and executive director of the Institute for Art and Olfaction, a non-profit arts organization devoted to experimentation and access through the lens of scent. Stay tuned, more after this. Two important areas in the brain are directly involved in the processing of smells. You've got the amygdala, where emotions are processed, and the adjoining hippocampus, where learning and memory formation take place. And this creates an intimate connection between emotions, memories, and what we smell. When a person smells something that's connected to a meaningful event in their past, they'll first have an emotional response to the sensation and then a memory might follow and this is called an olfaction associated memory. But sometimes a person might actually feel the emotion of something that happened in the past, but won't really remember what that experience is. This is partly because the brain finds it much easier to recall the memory if the context matches. 
So in other words, if you're walking down the street and you smell a scent you first smelled a long time ago and you find yourself having an emotional response, you may be more likely to recall the associated memory if you were also walking down the street at the time that you're having that experience that you are trying to remember. The brain uses the context to give meaning to the smell and find that memory somewhere in your brain. But if you then keep smelling that smell everywhere you go, the scent will untangle from the specific memory and lose its power to elicit that memory. This entanglement of emotions and scents may actually have a simple evolutionary explanation, like a lot of things. So the amygdala evolved from an area of the brain that was originally dedicated to detecting chemicals. Emotions tell us what to move towards and what to avoid. And if you think about it, that's exactly what smell does. They're actually both very intimately connected to our survival. So if you think about animals in the animal kingdom that use their sense of smell for survival and for protection, we as humans use our emotions to understand and respond to the world in a way that's quite similar. After this, I'll be talking about how smell could be a useful predictor of memory impairment in Alzheimer's disease and why some people with COVID-19 infections not just lose their sense of smell, but experience really horrible smells. Stay tuned, more after this. Odor identification tests may help scientists track the development of Alzheimer's disease in people at risk. Early treatment interventions are really key to the treatment of neurodegenerative diseases like Alzheimer's disease. So finding a way to detect early signs of disease is really invaluable because by the time the person is experiencing memory loss, it's almost too late. So simple odor identification tests have been found to maybe help track the progression of the disease before symptoms actually appear, particularly among those who are at risk. In one study, 300 people with an average age of 63 who are at risk of developing Alzheimer's disease because they had a parent who had suffered from the disease and Alzheimer's disease can be hereditary, were asked to take multiple choice scratch and sniff tests to identify scents as varied as bubblegum, gasoline, or the smell of lemon. 100 of them also volunteered to have regular lumbar punctures to obtain the cerebral spinal fluid, which contains various proteins related to Alzheimer's disease. What the researchers found was that those with the most difficulty in identifying odors were those in whom other purely biological indicators of Alzheimer's disease, so these proteins that were in their CSF, were most evident. This actually makes a lot of sense because the olfactory bulb, which is a part of the brain involved in our sense of smell, and the entorhinal cortex, which is involved with memory and naming of odors, are among the first brain structures to be affected by the disease. So let's talk about what SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes COVID-19, has to do with our sense of smell. So an international multilingual study of more than 4,000 people with recent smell loss reported that 7% of respondents had something called parosmia or odor distortion. Parosmia is the clinical name for specific smell disorders and they've grown dramatically in the past few months. Parosmia is most often an unpleasant smell, a distortion of an actual odor, making many foods smell and taste absolutely awful. Instead of a scentless world, an increasing number of people who lost their sense of smell following a SARS-CoV-2 infection are actually complaining that things smell 
kind of off. In fact, not just off, but absolutely foul. It's not unusual for smell distortion to accompany or come after smell loss following a viral infection. Other coronaviruses, influenza viruses, will also lead to parosmia, either as part of the initial deficit or as the nurse try and recover, but make abnormal connections. One study has shown that 86% of the COVID positive patients experience smell loss, which is why it's being used as a diagnostic tool. Most people who suffer from sudden onset parosmia from the SARS-CoV-2 infection recover their smell quite quickly, but some people actually continue to experience smell loss or distortion. So why is smell such a prevalent symptom of SARS-CoV-2? Well, early in the pandemic, researchers found that the virus needs to latch on to two proteins, um, ACE2 and TMPRSS2 a mouthful, which are found in many parts of the body, including the nose. So this July in Science Advances, researchers from Harvard Medical School located a source of these proteins on the cells which surround and support the olfactory receptors neurons and help transport odor information through the nasal mucus. This means that although the neuron itself is not damaged, all the support structure around it is. It also doesn't help that the cell damage gives rise to inflammation and nerves do not function very well within an inflammatory environment. So taken together, it's not surprising that this virus causes smell dysfunction. The good news is that cells in the olfactory epithelium can regenerate after they have been damaged but that regeneration can take time. Sometimes it can take up to two years or even more. So if mature neurons are affected, then new immature neurons need to fully mature and connect to the olfactory bulb, followed by the next wave of newly generated neurons to continue that process. Now, while this regeneration process is happening, the brain is receiving incomplete smell information, giving rise to stages of parosmia on the way to a full recovery. What really sucks for the sufferer is that the foul smell that characterizes parosmia are often triggered by foods or smells like coffee, perfumes, and chocolate, which so many of us love. So far, doctors have little relief to offer, unfortunately. In the past, clinicians have used antipsychotic, anti-migraine, and anti-seizure medications, corticosteroids, transcranial stimulation, and even topical cocaine for relief but no definitive evidence can be found for the efficacy of any of these um, medical treatments for smell disorders. It's not hopeless though. Breakthroughs may be more forthcoming because of the prevalence of smell disorders with COVID-19. So watch this space for treatments hopefully on the horizon. After the break, I'll be joined by Saskia Wilson-Brown, who will be chatting to me all about the Institute of Art and Olfaction, where the general public can gain access to the world of perfumery. I'm super excited. Saskia is French and American by upbringing, Cuban and English by blood, and received her BA in Fine Art from UC Berkeley and her MA in Fine Art from Central St. Martins. Saskia was co-director of Los Angeles seminal Silver Lake Film Festival, programmer and juror for film festivals such as Slam Dance and Gen Art, 
Saskia Wilson-Brown headed up the international filmmaker outreach and development arm of Al Gore's Current TV. She's spoken at a wide range of events and conferences, contributed as a writer to publications such as Workbook Project, and worked as a consulting producer. In 2012, her interest in experimental spaces led her to start the Institute for Art and Olfaction, a non-profit arts organization devoted to experimentation and access through the lens of scent. Saskia, welcome to Sound Science. I am so thrilled to have you. Yeah, How are you doing? I'm okay. You know, we uh, the debates are tonight. I'm hoping to avoid them. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's good protection for your mental yeah. health. <laughs> Self-protection. I'm excited to have this interview with you. So let's start with a simple question. As just mentioned in your bio, you founded the Institute for Art and Olfaction in 2012. So how would you describe the Institute as it approaches its 10-year anniversary? Well, um, yeah, I founded it based in part on organizations in LA like DubLab and Slamdance Film Festival. And the purpose of the Institute was to sort of create access to the field of perfumery and to facilitate experimental projects with scent. Originally, when I first started it, the the field of perfume, it still is, but a little less now, but it it was very um, shut, you know, to outsiders. Mm -hmm. There was very little access, although the internet has, of course, had already started changing that. So yeah, I started it just to, to get get people to to start working with scent in their creative practices. And I think now as it's approaching its 10 year anniversary, which is crazy, we've really maintained that mission, you know, it's just hustling the access, you know, it's really all about the access, because if, if you don't know what you can do, or if you don't know how to work with scent, you know, how, how are you ever going to start to work with scent? It's just sort of you don't have oil paintings you're never going to make an oil painting it's that simple you know absolutely people universally love scent but as you say it's traditionally quite inaccessible so being able to provide that access is incredible and I think very unique I've never really come across anywhere that does something as you've been doing for almost 10 years Before that, you had a stunning career in film and your background is in fine arts with a focus on photography and art theory. So I'm really curious as to how you found yourself going from working on music videos and film festivals and documentaries, which are all extremely visual, to founding the Institute of Art and Olfaction, which is, of course, all about smells. What connects the two for you? Do you see a connection there? Yeah, I mean, well, you know, creative practice is creative practice, you know. I mean, yeah, so I got an MA in art and, and I came back to LA. I was I was in London and I started, you know, I did what people do here, which is I had a friend who worked as an art department person and he hired me because I needed a gig. And, mm-hmm. and yeah, but, 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 you know, my interest was always in, in contemporary art practices because that's what I considered myself, you know, at the time. So the connection between visual art and all creative expression and scent is you know, at its most core, the fact that scent is also a creative expression and could be considered alongside music or visual art or, you know, whatever you name it, if only people were trained to consider it as such, you know, and that was sort of the biggest challenge from the Institute was was making that connection between scent as creative practice and whatever, art or, or, or music. And that was a connection that was difficult to make because what we typically understand scent as is, is in this context of sort of perfume, which is a product, mm-hmm. you know, you, mm-hmm. you go to the department store and you buy this expensive product and you spray it and, you know, and a lot of people have, have rightful uh, suspicions of that, of that sort of hyper luxury, super capitalist, you know, approach to what scent is in our society. And, in fact, there's quite, it's, it's a lot more than that. You know, it's a lot more than a perfume bottle. It's, it's, it's everything, you know, I mean, we, we are sensorial people. 
humans, you know, so yeah. So the connection was really that trying to make a parallel between aromatic expression and visual expression. On the flip side, what attracted me originally to scent was the fact that it was so intangible. You know, at the time, as you said (laughs) in my bio, I was working at this TV network and I was just processing content, you know, Mm -hmm. and even the word content, you know, right there, it's like, it's so soulless, you know, I was processing these videos and (laughs) all these creative expressions and, uh, you know, just churn and burn and just getting it on air next getting it on air next you know and and it it just I was just burning out on this and you know this is 10 years ago so it's 10 times worse today of course but so scent when I came across the idea that one could work with scent it was it was awesome because it felt so intangible and oh well yeah I mean video is intangible too in a way but it felt so unrecordable you know you can't right yeah can't control it in the same way that you can control a digital file, you know, so that was really attractive. And as an art medium, it's interesting, you know. I like what you said about in the challenge of exploring scent as an art form and how it is an extremely important part of our senses and how we perceive the world. And yeah, I think a lot of people initially, when they think of scent, they think of fragrance, but the power can be harnessed in so many interesting ways. It's a really interesting challenge and it's clearly working. <laughs> I feel like Um, The Institute of Arts and Olfaction is super cool and really popular. You must be exposed to a lot of scent. You probably get asked this question all the time. But what is your favorite scent and why? Do you have any favorite memories associated with it, for example, that make the scent particularly meaningful to you? Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, I do get this asked periodically. I do get, gosh, I can't speak. I need more coffee. I do get asked this question periodically. And I never really know what to say because... Well, okay. So first of all, I mean, on a personal level, I just, I wasn't really raised being very aware of scent. Like I didn't really care. You know, a lot of people in my world are like, oh, you know, I've been super aware of scent since I was one years old. You know, I just, I can't claim that, you know, I was just raised like everybody else, just sort of scent, you know, whatever, you know. So I'm not French, you know, but I was raised in this French system um and sent to france as a kid and and you know uh, uh, despite the fact that no the french do not own perfumery uh, <laughs> they do have a very developed perfume culture you know because they did um you know develop the the industry uh very early on in, in the 18th century 17th century actually so so when i was a kid there was this perfume for kids <laughs> that, that, oh, wow. that all the kids wore <laughs> yeah it was called um Tartine chocolat, which means a, a toast with chocolate, you know, Ooh. which is sort of like a, a French kid food. Um, yeah, oh. and it's this, you know, it's a very light smell. It's like sort of vaguely citrusy, and it's super pretty and pleasant and easy to wear. And something you would spray on a baby without too much worry. So for me, that's sort of I wouldn't say it's my favorite scent, but it's one that I, I most closely associate with 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 my youth, at least, you know. So those sort of memories. But, you know, like like I'm sure in your field uh, and I know in music, you know, when you start to delve into the field as sort of a person working in the field, those associations start to slip away. They just sort of fall off. So so now, you know, when I smell things, I it's more likely that I'll think about them in terms of their composition and then in terms of my memories. So in a way that sucks because it's stripped me of these sort of, I don't know, emotional uh, associations with scent. Although having said that, I have to be honest, there's this smell of the Institute. There's this sort of lab smell, you know, that's just yeah. everything mixed together. And that's starting to become a pretty potent memory trigger for me, especially now that I haven't been able to go in the lab very much because of COVID. 
when I go in, you know, I get really hit by the smell and it just years of, of memories flood back, even though I'm actively in the space still. So that that's that's sort of a a new thing, actually, a new scent memory that's developed for me, which is interesting. That is really interesting. And certain scents losing their emotional connection. I imagine that that could be true of film as well. Sort of once you start working in film and photography, I know my photographer friends um, have expressed this before. You start seeing things in frames or when yeah, you're, exactly. if you're in film and you're watching films, it's really hard to sort of be lost yeah, in the you film. Focus, like, you focus the on technical. the editing strategies, you know, like, exactly. oh, wow, clever edit versus, wow, that made me feel something, you know? Yeah. I mean, I'm not quite there yet. You know, I, I don't want to overstate my professionalism. You know, I, I still get the sense of wonder from certain smells, but but certainly that memory association has started to erode. And a lot of people I know who work in the perfume industry say the same. We're talking about that on the show, about the connection between, the quite unique connection between scent, memory and emotion yeah. and how the signals that get sent to the brain through our olfactory bulbs are not sorted through like I guess you could describe it as the post office of the brain, the thalamus, mm-hmm. they go directly to the amygdala and the hippocampus. So there's like this direct connection between scent, memory and emotion. And it's interesting that you could walk into a, a room and you can smell uh, a scent and feel emotion and then be able to recall the memory because of that type association. But if you keep smelling the scent and walking into the same room, you sort of you lose that that connection as you describe. So yeah, I think that's really interesting. And I wonder sort of the memories that you're forming in this time, how you'll feel about those scents in, I don't know, 10 years time from now. just running a nonprofit, you know, it's like, it's not an easy thing. I don't, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I mean, definitely a lot has been said in my world about what you just talked about that sort of set accessing, you know, what, what mm-hmm. I agree unscientifically called the lizard brain, you know? Yeah. It's funny. A lot of people try to trip that up by, I mean, and, and you know, Cecil Tolas, this artist in Berlin has this smell memory kit, you know, that is meant to, to help you form new memories with smell by, you know, you have a moment that's meaningful and you crack open a smell and you, you inhale deeply and then you, you associate that smell to the moment. But I don't know, a lot of people right now are saying, oh, well, you know, let's all burn candles at home that have aroma and we'll remember this time through the aroma but I just don't know that like you can force this somehow I right. it feels like scent memory is not something I'm sure you can force certain associations between scent and memory but it feels so and this is what I like about it it feels like something you can control and that's okay you know it's okay to to have these moments that somehow are triggered by certain smells that without any sort of intention you know the programming at the Institute is really fantastic. I went to an event via Zoom last week, which I thoroughly enjoyed. It was really great. But I wonder what you think have been the most interesting intersections between science and scent in the eight years since you embarked on this project, especially keeping in mind that the challenges of finding sort of connectivity with scent that we talked about in the beginning. Yeah. What's, what have been the standout programs that you've been really excited about? I mean, a couple of things that, that stick out from, from our programming world, actually not too long ago, I think in 2019 or 2018, we did a project with a, a landscape architecture firm here in LA called Alameda Heart Notes, where basically they, they, were, they were researching the, the site of the row downtown you know, that, that big sort of 
new shopping mall that used to be on the American Apparel Factory. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's, mm. that's going to be a shopping mall. Okay. It is. Oh, girl, you got to go downtown. I it haven't is a been there since it was American yeah. Apparel. Uh-oh. Oh, yeah, it's, a, it's an outdoor <laughs> shopping mall. It's like a hip, it's a hip grove, you know. Oh, um, wow. <laughs> yeah. But this landscape architecture firm actually uh, did the research into the site, you know, what mm-hmm. it was through time. And they came up with sort of five five historic scenarios and and then asked us to, to in, in combination with the, the historians, to, to interpret those sort of site aromas, the, the aromas that would have been on that location through time. So that was a super cool project relating to history and L.A.'s history, you know, which I always love. That's um, cool. Yeah, it was, a, it was cool. Salt, salt, they're cool. They're cool people. They're landscape architects. So they're all about location and space, you know. Um, and, and, you know, we've done so much over the years. I mean, we did a hackathon about how to talk about scent hackathon in quotes. I say that with some irony, <laughs> but where we were trying to come up with a new way of communicating with scent or uh, communicating scent, because maybe your neuroscientist self can help me explain this, but we do have a challenge, you know, verbalizing scent, partially mm-hmm. cultural, you know, we're not really taught to verbalize scent, but also somehow scent hits a part of our brain that's uh, fuzzy. I, I don't know, you know, so we tend to be like, oh yeah, you know, it reminds me of my, my, my boyfriend or my, or my girlfriend or my, you know, my mom or Absolutely, Ooh, yeah. I don't like it, you know, th- that's sort of where we go. So mm-hmm. yeah, we were hoping to sort of create better strategies for talking about scent through other language, you know, either visual language or, or, or language language or, or, or movement or things like that. That's super interesting. It's kind of similar. Well, no, maybe not quite that similar to wine. <laughs> sort of trying to describe taste. Wine is a little bit um, impenetrable. impenetrable super, well, as well. I can't bad, say that word. You know? but yeah, exactly. They're super related, you know. And mm-hmm. I mean, I always, my husband always laughs because I don't know. We watched some movie and the guys were, the people in the film were talking about wine. They were like, oh, it's like warm pond pe- pebbles and you know, you get into this really crazy language. Like it's more poetic. Yeah, yeah, it's like more poetic than descriptive. And scent, scent does the same, except we tend to get into our own memories, which is which is even further removed. I mean, if I tell you right now, oh yeah, it smells like I don't know my first boyfriend's collar. You know, I mean, right. you don't you get a feeling, exactly. but you don't know. There's no precision there, so we tend to try to focus on on creating methodologies for precision. Unfortunately, the only way to get precise with smell is to learn the molecules. So I can tell you it smells like, you know, galaxolite and methylcyclopentanolone or whatever. And you'll be like, oh yeah, okay. If you know what those smell like, you know exactly what that means. Oh, I love that. I love that. Having that be open to the general public is really incredible. And in in order for that to work, they need to be able to smell the molecules, you know, uh, which is why we set up this this lab, which is unfortunately currently not open to the public because of COVID, but, you know. (laughs) I just got a huge wave. I had a huge wave of excitement and then a realization that (laughs) we're in COVID times. Um, But I I look forward to when things open up again. So the world of perfumery can feel a little impenetrable, as we've spoken about. So I really love the mission of the Institute um, and how it is all about being able to provide access to perfumery through supporting experimentation, education and collaboration, as we've just chatted about. In the outside world, though, um, a lot of those encapsulating visceral stop in the street and ask the person who has just walked past what they're wearing kind of perfumes 
come with an astounding price tag. Some of my favorite perfumes are like $200, $300 and I put them back. <laughs> um, but personally, I go to, I don't know if you've come across it, it's a place called Dawa Bookshop in Crenshaw and they have scented oils and you can create different blends. And I always pick sandalwood and a musk and then I'll make my own and the proportions always change slightly but it's really my signature scent and I love it so practically speaking would you say that this kind of DIY approach to perfumery is what the general public can take away from the institute as you're talking about learning about the names of the molecules um, is the purpose mm. then for them to be able to sort of say okay this is what I'm looking for and I have the tools now to create that 100% Not- I mean so so I'm a, I, you know I mean just on a personal level I'm, I'm very you know shall we say suspicious of sort of capitalism in general mm-hmm. and I'm especially <laughs> suspicious of sort of the luxury industry this idea that mm. like, well, I mean for all the social reasons you know uh, we won't even go there but but also just from the simple thing that you know they're selling you uh, you know you see an ad and it's like you know whatever be like this person and buy this beautiful perfume and you know subconsciously you know you're told you can be like this person right it's absolute shenanigans it's total nonsense Absolutely. I mean because then you go to the store and it's like well you know 200 bucks and so you're you know you're working your ass off you're probably in debt and then you're going and you're buying you're buying into this nonsense dream whereas like really it's just not that complicated I'm not saying perfumery isn't hard because like every field you know you have to spend the time to understand the materials and but but your sandalwood musk accord you know i mean that's perfume (laughs) that's that's what it is like that works that is perfectly legitimate form of of scent creation and and that's the main thing that the institute's about is like dismantling this idea that we can't engage with this because it's only the finest noses in france or you know it's it's bullshit i don't know sorry i shouldn't swear it's not industry has you know has has relied on a very myopic view of perfume history you know to sort of propagate this idea there's eurocentrism there's this sort of mistaken mythology that scent was developed uh, and only the best smells come from france and that comes from louis 14th and his sort of love of scent so there's like a, a lineage to that mythology but it is a mythology you know yeah. there has been scent culture in every culture on every continent across time you know from the world's first chemist was in modern day Iraq to to the the myrrh harvests in Somalia to you know the the Japanese practices of burning incense you know there's there's all this culture around scent and and it's legitimate culture and so whatever you buy you know whatever you get off on whatever you enjoy is perfume that is perfume it doesn't have to be in this narrative of Sephora and Macy's and Nordstrom's and you know French perfumers so yeah I, I could go on about that for hours, but I won't. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, I love that. I love that message and that mission because once you start to understand the culture, and I don't really know much about the world of perfumery, but you can start to connect the dots if you're given context and kind of breaks down a lot of this consumer stuff that kind of makes us feel like, you know, perfume is not what perfume just is. And I I mean, for example, thinking about the price tag that some perfumes come with, of course, there's an element of branding and marketing and added value. But I mean, it sounds like there's no real technical reason for why perfumes need to be that expensive. I think in my mind, I used to think for it to last, it needs to be, it needs an element that is very expensive. They'll sell you a whole song and dance about the finest, you know, uh, materials imported from, you know, God knows where. (laughs) There there is, the truth is some materials are very expensive, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and most, and when brands use those materials, like, yeah, it costs money. 
and I'm not saying people shouldn't charge what they need to charge for their for their work. You know, I mean, it's hard to evaluate art creation. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, the that's true. big mainstream corporation, the, like the big perfumes. You know, the stuff you you mostly find at Sephora or whatever. Um, that price tag is is reflective of a whole host of human endeavor that is beyond perfume. It's the marketing team. It's the branding team. It's the bottles themselves. It's the shipping. I mean, the perfume itself is in that scenario is worth very actual little cost, you know, in in the independent perfume world, it's a little different because it tends to be that the juice itself tends to be higher value just because the materials are more expensive. That doesn't mean it's a better perfume, by the way, expensive materials doesn't mean better perfume. It's just because people (laughs) buy the stuff that is more rare or whatever. But yeah, the Institute, the whole point of the Institute is to move people from consumers to creators. You know, it's, you're not just going to consume perfume. You're going to create creative work with scent, whether that be perfume in the traditional sense or whether that be an installation or whether that be, you know, uh, I don't know, whatever, a collaboration or anything, you know, I love the idea is to to strip us of just being perfume consumers and, and help us learn how to, how to work with scent. I love that. And I think, yeah, the work that the Institute does in, again, in education and accessibility, especially is so unique. We're based in LA and that means that I would have a little bit more access to the Institute, but for anyone who's listening and sort of is interested in getting into more scent creation, what would your advice be for them in terms of being able to engage either with the Institute from outside of um, LA or any resources or books that are really great, or maybe just a first step, like what's the yeah. first thing you should, you should do if you're into this and you want to find out more? Well, first of all, I mean, the Institute is in LA technically, but really we're online now. So mm-hmm. I mean, that's the one thing about COVID is, you know, everything's online. So all their classes are online. They're all on a sliding scale. So I would say the first step is take a class, you know, or, you know, or do, or read a book uh, and a book I could recommend. There's two, there's the book that got me into this stuff, which is called The Emperor of Scent by Chandler Burr. And it's about the scientist Luca Turin who, who proposed a new theory of how we smell. So the, the vibration theory versus the, the, the quote lock and key theory. Fascinating book because it covers the industry. It's very opinionated. It's, it's a little bit, you know, the industry is more grayscale than the book maybe shows, you know, it feels very black and white, but it's a hell of a story, you know. And then the other book is called Essence and Alchemy by Mandy Aftel. Um, this is a book that a lot of people who are more interested in sort of the natural historical aspects of set, it's an interesting way in as well. Amazing. Yeah. Thank you so much for those tips. I think I'm going to get myself both of those. Yeah. You'll, <laughs> and I'll, I'll be signing up. For Welcome to the rabbit hole. <laughs> I know this whole interview has like got me. I've, been really into scent for a while but not actively engaging with it in this way so yeah I'm super inspired by this conversation and I look forward to signing up for more of the events that you have online which is definitely a silver lining of um, these COVID times but Saskia thank you so much for speaking with me today it's been a pleasure having you on the show and I'm going to put up a few show notes uh, a link to the Institute of Arts and Olfaction on the website so people can sort of have a look yeah wishing you a very good day and um speak to you soon i look forward to it thanks for your time smell smell i like the smell of lavender because it gives me a very strong sense of um, restfulness i just remember i like the smell of um chalk when i was pregnant i really like the smell of chalk and even now that my children are grown, I remember the smell of chalk because for some reason, it just gives me some 
some comfort that I cannot describe. My favourite smell is probably jasmine. I think it's tied up a lot with memory as we used to drive to a restaurant in Spain when I was a child, high up in the mountains at night and the place was shrouded in jasmine and it was magic and I loved it there. So it always takes me back to that place and my childhood. My favourite scent is, I can't choose one, I think florals like neroli, um, lavender and rose, something that feels earthy and clean and then the smell of ginger and garlic being fried because you know a good meal is coming. My favorite smells. Well, um, without sounding like a bourgeois asshole, I'm gonna say croissant. Um, but that covers a lot of things like burnt butter and that kind of pastry cake in the oven aroma smell apple pie on the windowsill um, whatever that is that's a jam favorite scents um i like um kind of deep natural musky often masculine um smells so cedar and sandalwood um i like copal frankincense um and on a more exotic Note, um, jasmine, ylang-ylang. The misty fragrance of pine in a dense, wet forest with feet and soggy soil. Um, I think my favorite smell is the smell of, it's an Indian incense called Nagchampa. So I've literally burnt it since I was a teenager, growing up in the 90s, listening to Tricky and Porter's Head, and burning my champa. And it kind of makes me feel really cosy and familiar. And it's the smell of home. It's been the smell of every home that I've ever had since I was a teenager. I do like the smell of weed because, um, you know, it's uh, it's what it means. It's like the smell of fried chicken. It's that Pavlovian response to a smell that is closely associated perhaps with a pleasant experience, like um, a sense of relax and ease that comes with, with weed smell. It's not necessarily my favourite scent, but one of the most evocative for me is the smell of coconut which when I smell now always takes me back to childhood holidays at the beach where my aunt would be liberally applying sunscreen to kids and then later in the day the adults would always drink frozen pina coladas as the sun was going down. The smell of campfire and something about the wood burning just gives off a deep aroma that just feels really warm and really cozy. I'm on the beach. What do you like? The smell of the beach? Yeah, there's Okay. <laughs> One of my favorite smells is cinnamon. I think because it reminds me of Christmas. Orange blossom is sweet, but not too sweet. The smell is like Arabic gum, but also a flower. It reminds me of the Mediterranean, and it is my favorite. I love the smell of fig trees oozing in an afternoon sun because it reminds me of my childhood summer holidays in the Mediterranean. I love the smell of oranges. 
You know when you peel the <laughs> you peel the skin off an orange and you sniff it. It makes me feel both excited and grounded at the same time. It reminds me of summer, but also makes me feel weirdly nostalgic but present at the same time. I can't quite explain it. That's it, folks. Thank you very much for tuning in. For show notes, you can go to www.soundsciencepodcast.com. The show will be archived by the DubLab website in a few days, so please share. And the podcast version will be up on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts soon. Until next time, have a wonderful Monday. Bye.